right. Welcome back, everybody. It's Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, we're coming through. I know a couple of you got in touch on Facebook to report various technical issues you had finding the podcast or getting it on the service of your choice. But just a reminder, we're out there. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast thingy uh, or find us on Spotify or Apple or, you know. Yeah, neither of us are Apple users, so it's good to let us know if things aren't uh, coming through there. I know some joker gave us a one-star rating on Apple Podcasts, but whoever you are, very funny. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think you mean not funny! (laughs) No, uh, if you do like us, please do that thing where you hit the bell to get the notifications. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't like us, keep it to yourself. Yeah. And go Uh, find a better use of your time. Yeah. But uh, we did get a really nice email from uh, Bill in Vancouver. Uh, I'll just read a little bit of it here off the top because it was so lovely to receive this. He says, I'm one of those Stones fans who bought all the 90s Stones albums but never really listened to them. Listening to your podcast made me go back to Bridges to Babylon and Bigger Bang and realize there are so many good songs there. I used to listen to them and say, hey, this is okay, but it's no exile on Main Street. I now have a greater appreciation for all this stuff. Emotional Rescue was to me what Bridges to Babylon was to you guys. I remember getting on the bus in Winnipeg to go to the record store downtown because I was too young to have my own car and dropping my $3.99 to get the album on release day. This album does not seem to fare well in critics' list of Great Stones albums, but for me it will also be special because of everything that went with it. It inspired me to go back and purchase the entire Stones back catalog. I also remember all my friends dissing me for listening to these old guys who were in their mid-30s at the time. Those aren't your real friends, Bill. (laughs) Hard to imagine they're still going 40 years later. Please consider looking at Emotional Rescue, the album, sometime in your future podcasts. Well, that's We're definitely going to do that. We're big fans of that. And I would say that this email is, I think, exactly why we do what we do. Yeah, these things have been covered up by the received wisdom of critics over the years, and we're here to uncover them. Yeah, the lying fake news media <laughs> has been trying to keep it. Yeah. I'm not going to use this as a, as a departure here to tell a personal story, but <laughs> I was looking at uh, the article for If You Can't Rock Me on, on Wikipedia, Wikipedia. Yeah. and I can't stress enough that that is not journalism. No. But what I think is strange about Wikipedia is that it, it should really be focused on, you know, names, dates, personnel, chart Verifiable person actual you know, information. facts, yeah. like real facts there. Yet they have all these salty comments from like not current reviews, mm-hmm. from like some guy at allmusic.com yeah. where it's like, well, this lacks a certain, like, and it's just, who cares? Like, yeah. this is not important. Like, it's not important to have a subjective opinion here. I think if you're going to do like an in-depth overview of critical opinion it's good to have like a broad sampling in there but you can't just copy and paste one dude's opinion on it's not yeah like so i would say that that doesn't even qualify as information like it's not even wrong like it's just (laughs) something that a guy said one time and it's cited right and it's like you can dress it up as though it's like academic and fact and a lot of people are going to believe it but i'm here uh, good people to tell you that that is a ridiculous way to go about this whole process of unpacking and understanding music. And yeah. I'm not saying this because they said something mean about a song I like. No. And, and you know what? I'm the first person to admit I use Wikipedia all the time. And I certainly use online sources f- with a grain of salt. You know, you have to go into this stuff realizing that, you know, there's a lot of information out there and a lot of it is also wrong. So much of the news is fake. <laughs> I, I shouldn't do this on no, the podcast. I Wolfman mean, Jack is one thing, but <laughs> but this is uh, not good. 
So I think today we wanted to talk about the current tour because we've now been to We see... have been to Oro Mendante. Yes. And we, we have returned. brought it back. We have come down Live with, to tell the from tale. the mountain with horns <laughs> upon our brow. Um, I also saw opening night in Chicago, which was fantastic. I have nothing but great things to say about it. I got to see the first time they played Sad, Sad, Sad in 20-something years. No. Almost no, it is years. 2002. Yeah, almost 2002. 20 years. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 and years. That uh, that was great in and of itself. Uh, hearing Carl Denson rock that Bobby Keys classic saxophone solo was great, and uh, they also busted out "She's a Rainbow" for the vote song, which I enjoyed hearing at uh, Roma Dante. Yeah. So aside from like a few tiny little hiccups that are part of the course in live music, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't even really want to focus on, but in the, in the spirit of objectivity yeah. here, whatever, it's live music. Somebody was uh, too far away from their microphone. Some of the guitar level rides were egregious. Yeah, some these of things them, happen. Some of them were too quiet. Yeah. But I would say, all told, emotionally, I felt about as good as I've ever felt watching them. Yeah. We were in a really good position yeah. to see and hear. By the time they hit that groove in Tumbling Dice, the, everything yeah, was Tumbling like, Dice yeah. was actually... Transcendent. I, I hesitate. Yeah. Okay. So that's a very good way of putting it. Because I hesitate to say perfect. There's no such thing as perfection. No. With the exception of Olympia 95. But that's for a different <laughs> debate. But like that is that is actually the, like a bang in tempo. Yeah. And, and, and everybody's doing exactly what they need to do. But I would say that version... The Shine a Light version is also very, very good and one of my favorites. It's a little spicy, a little bit spicy because <laughs> yeah, it's got a, a bit too of much a, mustard. Yeah, no, I mean that's and that's fine. Um, but this one, I was I was just feeling it so much, and it was so. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like oh, there was a bit of rough bits, but they they overcame it. It was like from the first lick yeah. to the end, everything was paced like. They, and a lot of songs had that too. Oh yeah, there was a like Let's Spend the Night Together, which was actually the first time that I ever heard Let's Spend the Night Together mm-hmm. live while being there. Really amazing, really great second song mm-hmm. choice, and actually, I'm starting to wonder if they aren't taking some of their cues from these in the vault from the vault series. I certainly think so, yeah. Because also today we're going to talk about um, Bridges to Bremen, and this is uh, intriguing because for the first time on this tour, the Stones have resurrected the acoustic B stage. Yeah, it, it's like reimagining what they did for Voodoo Lounge, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit better executed, if you ask me, because instead of going off to the side, yeah, which I assume they did for cable runs and technical reasons in '94, mm-hmm. uh, the four of them come out to center, uh, like at the end of the runway. There, the center, yeah. yeah, and they keep it acoustic. Daryl and Chuck stay back on the main stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I heard Bernard at one point too. So yeah, there's a lot of, for those of you who don't know, sometimes Bernard and Lisa, or it's not Lisa anymore, but sometimes, sometimes Matt Clifford or a lot of the backing people will be playing during the B stage or songs where they aren't even visible on stage. Yeah. I noticed in the opening track on street fighting man, uh, Tim Reese was playing that high horn note, I think on a soprano sax, but he wasn't lit at all. He was there, but you know, it was just like a Not feeling. Really. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and again, opening with Street Fighting Man, I thought was a really good choice because first songs, you, there's a lot of dialing in of levels, and I I would rather have them do that. I don't dislike Street Fighting Man, but mm-hmm. I would rather have them do that over Street Fighting Man than um, Jumping Jack Flash or right. Start Me Up or something. We also got Sad, 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 and yes. the whole opening, there's a... The the beginning to you can't always get what you want. I think there might have been some yeah, monitor issue. Mick, Mick was slipped a, out of time. But I mean, they or all Keith, came together. I don't know. But yeah. every, but everybody came together, and yeah. Ronnie Ronnie delivered a fantastic solo. Oh yes, in there. 
everybody was playing really, really well. And I would then, say, I think in the opening night in Chicago, Keith was even marginally better than he was in Oromodante, which is saying something. Well, it's interesting because Keith has stopped drinking and he's a lot more focused. Yeah. I do miss the headband. I think he should <laughs> go back to wearing the headband, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah. in, in all told, like, you know, around the time of the Licks tour, they got really open and airy and I'm going to take my hands off the guitar and not play. And yeah. I don't dislike those arrangements. But then on the 15 Counting tour, they went back to like being pretty rigid about the tempo and doing things more like the record. Sure. And while that was consistent, I didn't really feel that it had as much of the Stones magic as it should have. Right. This tour has, I think, the consistency, but it's consistently... On the transcendent level, yeah, from I mean, what I can tell. They're pulling out new licks and trying stuff within the framework of a very tight show. And that's great to see. And this was actually, like, Paint It Black seems to have now made it into the ones that they do every night. Mm-hmm. And I was very trepidatious about that because Keith always seems to have trouble playing the intro and it can get a little bit wonky, but it was very consistent in Oromodante. Yeah, and it sounded like the record, like the intro at least, was pretty much note for note. And that's kind of rare. Uh, Keith's own, like, his solo set was also really great. Slipping Away was Slipping amazing. Slipping Away was exactly what I wanted to hear. The yeah. minute I saw the... The ES345 come out instead yeah, yeah, of yeah. the Telecaster tape out at the fourth. I knew because, like, I don't care to hear Happy. Right. Literally, I don't care to, I don't hate the song, but I don't care to hear it again because I've heard it so many times. Yeah. And I prefer Slipping Away. And Keith has a lot of good songs. And I was thinking about something. He, we, I did complain earlier about why he was doing You Got the Silver so much in recent years. And it's probably because of the fact that Anita Pallenberg died mm. so i'm gonna recant that statement yeah because it's not appropriate i mean i i like all of keith's songs like give me anything of keith singing lead and it's usually going to be pretty awesome but i mean slipping away and before they make me run is yeah it's pretty much back. ideal unless yeah. you were going to do can't be seen right or thief in the night other things in the show that were notable i mean they've got a lot of new video graphics the video graphics were really great i really thought miss you was fantastic yeah with the neon around you know the sort of like city lights it looked like studio 54 but also that montage that you see in movies i can't remember what the reference is to originally but it's usually when like a drunkard is on a bender yeah and they show like the names of bars yeah yeah they stumble through the simpsons has done it like eight or nine (laughs) times i can't remember the name of the movie i did look it up yeah but it reminded me of that I just wanted to pop in here and confirm that the film Christian's referencing is The Lost Weekend from 1945. Anyway, back to the podcast. But also Miss You and Studio 54. So, yeah. And I think they've found a happy medium. And on opening night in Chicago, Matt Clifford was doing the intro to Miss You with that weird synth harmonica that he does on the Steel Wheels tour. And then I think by the time of Oromodante, they were like, could you not do that till the end? Let's cut that out. <laughs> yeah. Um I would it's, it's still there. I know. definitely like the second night another guy I know was at the second night in Chicago and he got Play with Fire and mm. Sweet Virginia and I definitely would have preferred that for the B stage, yeah. But I think for the fact that this was the only show in Canada, they yeah. had to give it a little bit more of a festival treatment, which is playing more of the better known songs. Yeah. It was a big show. I think the attendance it, was something like 70,000. Yeah. And, you know, I was at the, the What Have You in 2003, 
And that was a disaster. Like, yeah. I can't stress that enough. That was Toronto a rocks. They, they actually yeah. did play very well, and I think that most people were just too dehydrated and <laughs> upset to notice. Yeah. Um, but that was a very disorganized show. Security was really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea of like stealing your water and then charging you $3 for it later. Well, not that that went away in Oromodonte. <laughs> no, no, but it was different because I wasn't there all day. Sure, yeah, right? yeah. It wasn't an all-day festival, and so the the scale of it was better. But even things like bathrooms and just yeah, the organization. Certainly getting out of the parking lot was a nightmare. That yeah, was... that was really, really unpleasant because there were a bunch of teenagers handling it, and they <laughs> like, by handling it, I mean they were not doing yeah. anything. And then but, some weird know, guy stood in front of the car. Yeah, that was strange. Yeah, to say rude things to Speaking another of which, our, uh, <laughs> our Minister of Culture, Tourism, and Sport had a, an interesting altercation, but that's a story for another podcast. There were all sorts of people at this show. Apparently, the mayor of Toronto was there. Uh, Fred Penner, who I was just working with last week, he was at the show. Oh, yeah, there was also a good joke. Mick said something about our premier that I thought was good. Yeah. If you're in Toronto or Ontario, you'll have heard of Doug Ford uh, and his promise to offer people $1 beer or a buck of beer as a campaign promise. Yeah, so Mick Jagger said that for the next 15 minutes, it's going to be a buck of beer, (laughs) courtesy of Doug Ford. Right. Which I thought was a very good, like, middle of the road. Yeah. He wasn't committing to one side. No. There. And it's necessary because you don't want people to feel insulted even if they would support someone like Doug Ford. But yeah, you don't want people who come to your show to feel insulted. So I mean, the last time they were in Toronto, they also made crack about his brother. The they made Doug a crack Ford. about yeah. the smoking of crack. Yeah, Rob which, Ford's the I think crack there's a little mayor. bit more unanimous bipartisan <laughs> opposition to the smoking of crack, especially by a public figure. <laughs> While in office. While yes. in office. But anyway, Orma Dante was very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Rambler was excellent. Midnight Rambler was very... The whole kind of like ending set there, because once you get out of Keith's set, it's pretty much the same and the momentum continues to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gimme Shelter was a little bit wobbly at the beginning. Um, full disclosure, I am a huge fan of Lisa Fisher and I got nothing against Sasha Allen, but I do miss Lisa quite yeah. a lot. There's something about Lisa's commitment to that performance, which has never been matched. Sasha Allen does something a bit closer to what Mary Clayton does on the record. Mm -hmm. Um, My real introduction to that song was much more the no security. Like the first time I ever heard it was the no security version. Mm. And the studio version used to really scare the crap out of me. Like I I used to listen to Hot Rocks as I would go to bed and I would always have to jump out and with the needle yeah because it was two three spooky five me (laughs) and then eventually one night my curiosity overpowered my fear and i walked into the cave of my own nightmares (laughs) and came out victorious yeah well this is the the reason you go to the rolling stone show you can't edit that that line (laughs) you have to have a mystical experience when you're listening to these tracks no it was it was very much like that's what i really think a good concert should be is Mm -hmm. a, a communal experience that elevates and I could talk about how much I didn't like to be in line for the bathrooms or the disgusting man who smoked a cigar next to me or the people who shouted through Miss You about how it was their favorite song. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to do because then you can't hear the song and nobody yeah. around you can but hear But I mean, you know, Daryl's bass solos on Miss You have been he was serving, stupendous. He was serving some bass out there in Oro yeah. Mandante. Yeah. <laughs> Rose um, Creek event grounds will never be the same. Yeah. 
the the next show they're playing is actually tonight. We're recording this on Monday, the fifteenth, and the New Orleans show has been moved twice now. First, because obviously Mick got sick and they had to cancel Jazz Fest, um, but also New Orleans, uh, fortunately, it looks like has missed the worst of the hurricane or tropical storm, Hurricane uh, Barry. Barry, uh, which uh, so now they'll be able to play tonight, and hopefully that all goes well for them. Um, but I think, you know, if you're listening to this and you may or may not still be on the fence about getting tickets to this tour, I don't think we would hesitate for a moment in recommending that you do. It's great. Yeah, earlier I was saying that I think that the downtime for Mick to get a stent or whatever it was, um, I was really hoping that they would use that for two things. One is to rehearse more and the other is to uh, work on their record. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that is what happened. Usually the start of a tour, like Toronto is always early. They always move from the east to the west coast mm-hmm. um, in North America. So we are always early in the tour. And it's not possible that the beginning of a tour is going to be better than the end of a tour. Like when we saw them at the end of the Zip Code tour, the final show at the Zip Code tour, as unpleasant as that festival environment yeah. full disclosure i do not like being in crowds yeah so always uh, tricky in these you know outdoors. i was being pushed into a, a chain link fence you know most of the show right. so even that said though that was a fantastic show because they had been playing six months or whatever that mm-hmm. was yeah i would say that it wasn't quite at that level but very very consistent and very well directed and none of these like hinky like i don't know what we're doing next kind of moments that often come at the beginning of anybody's tour well that's a good segue to bridges to bremen because i think what's interesting if you get the blu-ray version of this or i guess the dvd if you're a pleb um you get as a bonus this is this is a show from late in the i think it's the fifth leg of the bridges to babylon tour so it's quite late in the touring cycle but also as a bonus for you video purchasers, you get Bridges to Chicago, which is from the previous year and a much earlier date. Yeah, which you tour. may, um, astute listeners may know that this was a, both the Bremen show and the Chicago show were famous bootlegs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Bremen show was a pay-per-view on European yeah. television. And somebody ripped that feed and it was on YouTube and I was like, wow, it would be great to get this whole show. And now we have it. And now we have it. Now, Again, full disclosure, my introduction to the Rolling Stones was the American pay-per-view from this tour, mm-hmm. the one from St. Louis. Yeah. So it will not be possible for me to retain full objectivity in discussing this, even though I did enjoy Bridges to Bremen quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear, I really would like a proper official re-release on and remix of the St. Louis, Louis show. Yeah. But, you know, there's some things about this that are, I think, a lot better. I, I mean, think the highs are higher. Yeah. But there are a couple of moments like that could be tighter. Like, uh, anyway, we might as well go through the show. Yeah. So, it, again, as all the Bridges to Babylon shows did, they open here with I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Uh, Jim, that is not factually correct because late in the European leg, they switched to opening with Jumping Jack Flash. Right. So, <laughs> this is just before they switched to, yeah. to it, I believe. I think they quit themselves well. That's a hot, that's one of the best satisfaction. Like, so I would say this about Oromodante too. Mm-hmm. It is a, when you go to a Rolling Stones show, you're like, I, 
I hope they play Summer Romance <laughs> for the first, like what you hope for is like the first time they've ever played. Yeah, the a, deepest cuts. Yeah, yeah. The, your personal favorite. Why don't they play On With The Show? Something happened good to reason, me yesterday. There's a good reason why they don't play either of those songs. There's very strong reasons. But like whatever your favorite is, for me, it would be something like How Could I Stop or Too Tight. Sure. Something from the final side of Bridges to Babylon, yeah. unsurprisingly. You know, you want to be there for that. However, what I think is, really rare and quite magical is when the ones that they do every night, you know, really cook and become magical and special. And that version of satisfaction, even though I think the St. Louis like outro and guitar solo, and I love the pick scrape in Mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. in the drum breakdown, the way the band uh, just attacks this from the first note and gets all the way into it is, is really special and really nice. And then straight into, again, a really excellent choice for song two, Let's Spend the Night Together, really yeah, tight. For me, it's all about when, and, and Keith, there's some versions where Keith doesn't sing, but if he doesn't do the every need yeah. part, like, I don't, I, I'm not paying, like, no every need, no sale. <laughs> like, really doing it well, like, it's it's a, it's the right tempo, it's a great one to carry the momentum forward and drive you further into the set. So, it was good, is what yeah. we're trying to tell you. And the backing vocal arrangements you've got blondie here along with bernard and lisa so it's all to sounding full and really excellent uh ditto with flip the switch here off of bridges so. that's a strong flip the switch yeah um you know toss up between the that or the uh, no security version mm-hmm. both very very good one thing that i miss and that i hope we get again is another album and tour cycle where they're playing the new material yeah uh, every and not like yeah. a new song like but it's like part of the show. It's a consistent. What I love about this tour is the way that the art direction and the set design and the themes and the music of the new album really guided the whole thing mm-hmm. and it turns into a consistent package because we haven't had that since really. Because the bigger bang, they didn't have time. Yeah, it was the onstage show. Yeah, because they didn't have an album title. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it seems like the design of the no filter show is meant to be flexible so whatever they feel like playing they can and fit it into the direction well but here you know there's definitely when that curtain goes up and you see those big figures like the babylonian sort of statues the winged bulls yeah all that stuff uh it's and I timed believe out Ishtar you know. is the other one yeah Sorry, I'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's all like timed out to follow the flow of the set list so that's really cool to see um, like we mentioned, Gimme Shelter has always been great with Lisa during this era. Yes, I definitely think the St. Louis version is better, mm-hmm. but it's still good here. And, and Lisa always delivers. Yeah. So. Then they do, and this is great because it's the first time we've heard like a proper studio mixed multi-track recording of Anybody Seen My Baby. And she confessed her love to me, then she vanished on the breeze. Trying to hold on to that was just impossible. Was more than beautiful, closer to ethereal, with a kind of down to earth flavor. Um, this is great to hear, and they were playing this obviously every night because it was a current song and very popular. Yeah, the crowd really, really seems into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ronnie's solo's great at the end there. Uh, can't ask for more about this song. It's, uh, it's maybe a hair too fast, but I'll accept it. And mm. one thing that I never realized. Because uh, they cut it from the St. Louis one, mm. and uh, what I never really realized is that that's when the curtains go up right. in the show. Because I kept being like, "Well, how do they get from one part to another?" But it's you know, it's all 
it's great to see a full show that's totally, you know, where you see all the stage direction and everything moving yeah. as intended. I think, like you said, Paint It Black can be a little sketchy in this period, but Keith does it well here. It was definitely starting with the Wicks tour that it was like, how do I play the intro to this song I've been playing for yeah. consistently since? Because if you listen to the Steel Wheels version, right, it's like, Bang on. Like he he and he's got that whole extended intro. Really, yeah, really the Melaguena kind of Spanish guitar thing he does yeah, on top. It definitely fell apart at some some point in the two thousands. And but not that's not what we're here to discuss, but this is a good one. Yeah. And Saint of Me is already getting into that extended kind of vamp thing that they were doing on No Security here. It's yeah. sort of like the embryonic version of that yeah, gospel thing. Uh, I would say that Keith is a little bit busy on this one. Hmm. He's kind of playing a bit too much. Um but, you know, it's still enjoyable. It, it doesn't ruin the song or anything. Yeah. Um, I definitely prefer the San Jose version or the one on security. But you can see, like, the audience never really lets them finish that without yeah. bringing back the vamp. Because you can, the next song, Out of Control, you can see Woody's already gotten onto the wah. Yeah. But they... They're still singing. They're still vamping chorus, it. Yeah. So you get this kind of Ooh, extended hybrid, funky yeah. thing going on there, which is... yeah. Neat. And Out of Control is also excellent. I mean, they've done better versions of it, but... I, I would say it's it's very, very close. That's yeah. a very strong version of Out of Control, mm-hmm. for sure. It's definitely one yeah. of my favorites. So what's interesting here is that he mentions the fact that Dave Matthews... He says, we don't need them. Dave Matthews. <laughs> um, which is good, because Memory Motel is a great song, and I don't care to hear anybody but Mick and Keith sing it, so... Yeah, and if only Keith... Um, hit his cues a little better in this one. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I don't know how he missed that, but what it's do I know? Loose. Yeah. Uh, it's it, he, Keith got a little bit loose, but the way that they do play this and um I hope one day we'll see we'll hear the version that was in the stripped companion mm. bootleg because that's that's fairly loose but quite good. She got a mind of her own and she used Unfortunately, I think the Dave Matthews version is a better performance from the band, mm-hmm. and I will tolerate Dave Matthews um, on yeah, They it. did like two or three nights in a row with him as a guest artist on this song, which is why it like it's a little jarring to hear it this way, I think, for them. So maybe that's why it's looser. Could be. Could anyway, be. Um, Miss You, also really good. Very extended. Lots of breakdowns, lots of solos. Yeah, and it's uh, we would be remiss if we were not to mention the fact that Mick indulges a bit of uh, foot fetishism on uh, Lisa there. Which, <laughs> yeah, which is very funny to do in front of a German crowd because you've got to imagine that, that they have, <laughs> this isn't something they've never seen before. Well, also, like I miss the little kind of pantomime shows that they would do sure, in, yeah. in Miss You. Yeah. Um, I understand, I think, that as Mick gets older, it kind of gets a little bit um, less fun. Yeah. But um, it's something that I think lends itself. I like on Voodoo Lounge where she's talking to Chuck and then Mick's trying to get her attention or right. stuff like that. That that little kind of bits of acting, I think, yeah, yeah. really are nice. And it's uh, you know good to hear them really stretch out the full arrangement here with all the horns, Bobby's solo, everything is intact and accounted for. 
Um, then we move to Keith's set after band intro. So you've got Thief in the Night and Wanna Hold You. Really cool one-two punch of rarities there. Yeah. I do wish that Thief in the Night were a little bit tighter. Mm, um, yeah. But in North America, All About You went there mm-hmm. um, pretty consistently. Yeah, I think there's, there's a good version of that on the bonus tracks from Chicago. There is one show, I believe, in, in North America where he did do How Can I Stop? Right. And I kind of wish that he had put more effort into making that go. Mm-hmm. But Europe, they went with Thief in the Night, and Thief in the Night's super cool. I would have been totally happy with Thief in the Night, How Can I Stop, as the Keith set. Of course, yeah. Um, but, you know, Want to Hold You is, is a really good song and a really underrated song, and it uh, you know, for some people, it's going to be too bad that it was on Undercover, which doesn't have my favorite production values. It definitely sounds a lot better on vinyl than the crispy, hypey CD versions. Yeah, and some of the CD versions have uh, an extra verse reinstated. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I like it tight. It's almost like a Beatles song. There's no bridge, but apart from that, it's got that kind of like three chord. So, angry rock react and roll. if you want us to discuss Undercover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are cool. And we see uh, Ronnie's daughter, Leia Wood, on stage singing back up for Thief in the Night here. Which is I thought a that she looks a lot like Mary Pickford or somebody. She mm. looks like a 20s movie star a little bit, yeah. to me. I, this is apropos of nothing, but <laughs> I just thought I would say it. And then, uh, like you said, you're into the... B stage. Yeah, they go to the B stage after it's only rock and roll. And you got, you got me rocking and like a Rolling Stone there, which are both good. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of misplaced fingers on like a Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and I do miss the extra haze in oh, yeah. "Got Me Rocking," yeah. but it's pretty ideal. Those are good B stage choices, all of them. Yeah, because um, they either have things where people can sing along, or they're just like really raw and loose mm-hmm. rock tracks, which are ideal. And think. on the Blu-ray, you get to see the whole sequence of the bridge extending outward, which is interesting to look at. And That's one of my favorite things about this tour. And of course, like it might be a bit too literal for some people yeah. that there's a bridge on it, but yeah. like it's a great piece of theater yeah. to have it and to have them you know, walk there and then time the Sympathy for the Devil, which is another thing that's shown up on this tour, Yeah, which is timing the intro to Sympathy for the Devil to cover the walk back. And it's not the first time that they've done this. They also did it with Gimme Shelter, had a pre-recorded intro right. on uh, the Licks tour. But I like to see these mechanisms of how they cover entrances and exits and guitar changes and, you know, setups Yeah, uh, with show pacing and the theater yeah because it's not you know it is a rock and roll band and obviously that's the core of what you're buying a ticket to see but it also has to be entertaining no matter what's happening to make that go so it's an amazingly dense show for what it is because the number of songs that they have to play in order for people to feel that they've got their money's worth Mm -hmm. Um, has o- will only continue to go up. Yeah. For a while, um, Midnight Rambler and Gimme Shelter were like occasional rarities that you you would feel really lucky if you got them in a show. But now they're never swapped. Now out. they're never. Yeah. And Midnight Rambler has become really interesting because how they've managed to scale it up. Yeah. Because it is very very theatrical, and you know, I think since uh, Blue and Lonesome came out, Mick has been inserting little random bits of blues numbers as part of the midnight rambler kind of on tracked into the final part we got uh, a little bit of come on in my kitchen yes aroma dante and in chicago actually it was uh you gotta move 
So that's, he's just kind of throwing Which a curveball Which I would like to in. point out are the same melody. Yeah. It's interesting that that's continued to stay, you know, in the set, but keep changing and evolving. Um, I mean, there's little to say about the remaining tracks that we haven't already said before. They're all, you know, pretty good. They're the standards. And again, yeah. it's it's just one of these things where there is nothing more to say about Brown Sugar or Jumping mm-hmm. Jack Flash, but these are all very, very good performances of them. Yeah. And Start Me Up particularly I thought was good on this. I mean, Keith does the little teaser intro. Yeah. And then, you know, Ronnie's got a good solo there. Honky Tonk Women still has that piano thing with uh, Keith and Chuck. I really like, and I definitely do prefer the 90s versions of Honky Tonk Women. I think they've come back to it at Ormondante. It was it was quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a bit, there was a period there, like when they brought back the cowbell to start it, uh, you know, I didn't really feel like that was the right thing to do. I think you've got to let Keith set the tempo mm-hmm. and then have Charlie come in and follow him. You know, that's just me. But I do like the 90s. A lot of the hits, I think, came off a lot better in the 90s and they benefited a great deal from being rearranged for the Steel Wheels tour. Right. And there's a level of consistency to them that is very, very strong. And on a good night, they become quite uh, transcendent. Particularly Jumpin' Jack Flash, because they've, you know, they've been playing, they've been on stage at that point for like close to two hours in the thick of it. And uh, when you hit that vamp at the end, it really feels like you're seeing through walls. It's so tight. And uh, you don't want it to end. And then, of course, they come back for the encore with Can't Always Get What You Want and Brown Sugar as a kind of kiss off at the end there like i said two and a half or you know two hours 20 minutes something like that for this whole show um you get a little bit more on the blu-ray as those bonus tracks which visually i think and you know it's shot in standard definition video so it's not going to look amazing but it it looks pretty good i do always find it interesting to see that the a lot of the reason why these shows ended up looking so crappy is because of the transfer to to vhs Mm -hmm. and that and that they do actually the cameras and the lighting and everything like you really get to see this, you know, as the camera saw it. Yeah. And, and certainly we have much better cameras now, but it is what it is. And I think that it is good. Yeah. They were filming for PAL format, which is standard definition, but the European standard, which is slightly better than the North American one was at the time. So you get a little bit more resolution and uh, higher frame rate. But yeah, you know, colors and direction the editing all that is great um the bonus tracks though uh from soldier field uh, are all from i think the feed from the stage cameras that they had at the time it's not like they had the full camera negatives to go back to so you get uh rock in a hard place um which sounds really really good i mean this version of it i think mick flubs the lyrics and kind of says a bit of gibberish but apart from that it's you know really you tight hold that against him I no mean. <laughs> Um, Daryl's bass solo thing kind of sounds pretty funky there and you can see the horn guys dancing to it and Mick kind of going off. So that's good to see. It's pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Under my thumb. I think they kind of weren't really that used to playing it this way. That was a vote song. Yeah. Um, because I remember, I believe I had this, I had fragments of this as a bootleg and he goes, Oh, does anyone know how to play this? Yeah. Uh, Which is a standard joke of mix, but here it does sound like they're not quite sure of the arrangement. And it is, I do like the tempo and the energy and the use of the marimba Mm -hmm. pad on it. It's, it's a more, it's, 
it's a bit more like the record as mm-hmm. opposed to say like the hyped up version from the 81. 81 yeah which i like too and there's a version from zilker park that is like somewhere oh, yeah somewhere in the middle but this one is a very interesting presentation of the song um keith's more... uh, solo right before the end is very very good and, yeah uh, it's, it's a little more laid back yeah um which helps the song come off a little bit less mean mm-hmm. um which is i think important yeah and i think mick has always been revising the lyric he's never really stopped <laughs> changing it around from tour to tour but you know he's trying to do several things at once including pick up a bouquet of flowers and sing and walk so yeah you can't yeah. fault him for repeating lyrics or whatever um then like we mentioned keith is doing all about you here with the full band and that's great it comes across really well he sings the crap out of it and uh so do bernard lisa and blondie you know They're yeah around. there's a couple of little um I love the studio version, but there's there's definitely a lot of cool things like minor tweaks to the horn line or where he plays or doesn't play the mm-hmm. guitar that I think really help the song. It's always a different thing to put a recording together versus how you play it live. Yeah. And, and I think this is a, one thing that the Stones are very, very good for is not copying their own records and doing the arrangements that they feel comfortable and happy with at the time. Yeah. And that you can tell that, you know, when they're feeling it, they're absolutely more animated playing those songs. And how could you not refresh the arrangement after you've been, you know... Well, Charlie doesn't listen to the records. No. And and Woody recently said something about how they don't over-rehearse themselves. And Mm -hmm. I really think that there's something to that. You can tell when a band is on autopilot or not really paying a lot of attention to it because they've rehearsed it so much that they can literally do it in their sleep. Yeah, they're just sort of executing the same thing over and over. And a lot of artists talk about this, you know, Bowie was very interested in making sure that you kind of caught in the studio like the first time it even worked, right? And that's, you do have to kind of walk that line between being prepared enough to not mess up, Mm -hmm. but remaining loose enough to experiment and do interesting things in there because that kind of sets off this nice chain reaction between the sections and it's the interplay between musicians that matters more than simply the execution of a part. Yeah, and I think you get a lot of that in this package. If you're interested in studying how the Stones pull that off, this, you know, this tour is a great example of it and you know, we're really glad that this was captured in such great quality and preserved here. Um, there's two more things to talk about. First of all, uh, a B stage song, which is "Let It Bleed" for Chicago, and that comes across really well. Keith does kind of a crunchy, cool. Uh, His guitar's a little bit too dirty for yeah. that one, I think. But but it's uh, you know it sounds good, and I mean Mick is singing it really well, and the you know the energy of the B stage is quite apparent on this one. Um, I sprung for the Japanese import version of this. And consequently, they included one extra bonus track just on that edition, which is uh, Little Queenie, Chuck Berry. And I think it sounds really great in here. And it's, again, that same B-stage setup where they're all down front there. And Mick is dancing and really acquitting himself really nicely on the vocal. Um, Keith really goes off with the solos here. It's just, you know, what more can you want? Uh, yeah, so one thing I should say is that if you're listening to this at home, and why wouldn't you be? I don't know. Or wherever you are. Yeah. I find that with a lot of these releases that the PCM mix, there's something going on where the guitars don't really sound all the way there. 
I've encountered this a number of times on the DVDs. They, they default to the PCM mixes. But even if you have only two speakers, switch it over to the, to the DTS. Um, yeah, depending on how your receiver, if you've got one still, or if you're just listening to a built-in TV speaker, how your TV's folding it down from 5.1, you might get a better result. I, I have not found a situation where the DTS did not sound better, but I am listening through an amp at all times. Um, I ripped the CDs and gave those a listen and tried to compare them with the MQA version that's streaming on Tidal. And I think the CDs actually sound really good. It is a different edit um, to just cram everything into, you know, the 140-some minutes that you get as a maximum on CDs. But uh, I haven't heard the vinyl yet. Uh, we might try and track down a copy of that, but I presume it also sounds good. There were no vinyls to be had even for ready money. <laughs> Sorry, there was no vinyl. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple different vinyl configurations. I think several retailers got exclusive color versions. I haven't really looked into that. Yeah, so. the, I go to Sunrise. Yeah, up in Sunrise uh, Records because I I don't like ordering something that ships on its release day. Mm. So Jeff Bezos sorted out. Yeah, get it together, man. And because they always get them on the release day, so I go all the way up there. And I have to ride the Scarborough RT. Mm -hmm. And those of you who know will know what a sacrifice I'm making. <laughs> but yeah, there's a bronze vinyl version, I think, that you can pick up from certain retailers. I want it simply because I think that the album art is so simply beautiful and yeah. cool that I want it in a larger format. Yeah, I got to get, um, funnily enough, with the, the Japanese edition I ordered on CD Japan, they included like a folio-sized plastic like duotang cover <laughs> with the lion and the border around it in the bronze and purple, which looks amazing. But so I if don't... you have a, like a really good project to turn in yeah. um, to I'll, a uh, teacher I'll, who I'll enjoys... put my homework in this duotang and get that extra credit. Um, there's a crystal clear version as well if you... If you want to collect all the vinyl versions. The only colored vinyl that I actually do go in for, I, I can't resist clear. I think it's so cool mm. to have clear vinyl. And it's also really e easy to see if there's crud yeah, sure. on it, which I like. You throw a flashlight on that, there's nothing to hide behind. Dirt can't, the scum can't hide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so track those down. I mean, uh, it's going to be a little tricky to track down, but you know, possibly worth it. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. We'll perhaps there was a shipping issue because I've never known sunrise to not have the vinyl. Like I didn't actually mm -hmm. intend to get the previous, uh, voodoo lounge yeah. vinyl, but they had it there and you know, I, I couldn't resist, which is why I don't go to stores a lot because, uh, You'd be very poor. I buy things. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, anyway, Take a listen on streaming. Uh, let us know what you think of bridges to Bremen. If you've gone to one of the shows on no filter in 2019, uh, get at us. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we're eager to hear from you. Don't forget always. to hit the bell so you get the yeah. notifications. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Under the Radar Rolling Stones Podcast or uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure it's a five-star rating and not a one-star rating. Yeah, it's like Uber. We People are going to come and shut us down if yeah. we get too many bad ratings. Uh, where else can you hit us up? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can email rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com if, if that's your one and only method of connecting to the rest of the world. You can still use a POP3 email account. Uh, yeah, we got a uh, BBS. Yeah. Uh, we're on IRC yeah. chat. AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> ICQ. CompuServe. <laughs> we got it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, None of that's true, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, maybe through a time warp if you want to send something that way. Let us know what you think. As always, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, until the next time, we say goodbye. <laughs>